Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. The rise of scripture against the classical and Hellenistic world pit the voice of the shepherd, spoken in his idiosyncratic language, against the language of human institution. Be dominated by civilization, its gods, its rulers, and their institutions, or follow me and obey my voice in the wilderness. Obey the staff of the Lord, your Elohim, and live, or suffer the bondage of a temple and palace made of stone. Having destroyed Jerusalem in our mind's eye and shamed her rulers and teachers, Matthew now turns his wrath toward Rome. Which son of the father, Pilate? What is your judgment? How do you judge? Dare you speak? It would be better for you to close your lips, study Hebrew, forsake Rome, flee the palace, and seek out the God of Abraham to hear his distinctive voice in the Syrian wilderness. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, verses 15 to 18. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 411 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Once again, we are still in the Gospel of Matthew. And we are still confronted with the singular tension of judgment. Only God is the judge. Remember that God is a Bedouin sheikh in the wilderness, and he holds his shepherd's staff, his shebet, and he speaks his unifying language, Hebrew, and Everyone is forced to learn his language in order to hear his voice, in order to find life in the wilderness between Egypt and Canaan. The singular authority of the shepherd's voice in the wilderness is the Bible's countermeasure against institutional authority in Greek civilization. And now in the Gospel of Matthew, having seen the metaphor of this institutional authority expressed in the religious leadership of the Jewish people, we now see, once again, another example of this institutional power, the power of civilization, the tyranny of empire, the tyranny of those who would impose their language on the peoples of God's land, 
We now see another example of that in the governor, the one who assumes that he can judge, just like everybody else who wants to assume that because they have their institution, it gives them a right to judge. But there's only one judge. There's only one shepherd who holds his staff, and there's only one voice. Now, we saw what happened when others tried to usurp the authority of judgment, either by condemning themselves or attempting to excuse or condemn someone else. Let's see what happens with the governor. And recall last week, Jesus didn't fall into the trap of commenting because Jesus himself will not judge before the time. Jesus himself will not allow anyone to call him good or otherwise before the time. It's significant how little actual judging these earthly judges do. They are impartial with the facts, and they don't take responsibility for the sentence. This is the opposite of wisdom. The wisdom, even going back to the Code of Hammurabi, is written to demonstrate how wise of a ruler Hammurabi was because he made good, wise decisions. But the chief priests trumped up a charge and went and looked for witnesses ahead of time. They already had a sentence, then they went for the argument, and then they looked for the witnesses instead of starting with the witnesses to find out what actually happened. They weren't interested in what happened. And now we have this earthly governor, Pilate, who isn't interested in doing anything either. Oh, are you what they said you are? How come you won't answer? And now Pilate doesn't know what to do with himself because he can't catch Jesus in his words because Jesus won't speak. He knows the chief priests did the wrong thing, but he won't be wise. He refuses to act wisely and say, look, this is dumb. I shouldn't be wasting my time with this. So we see the true failure of the human rulers in that they dither. They are adamant and they work hard when it's unjustly the thing that they want. But when it actually has to do with justice, they putter around and don't actually do much of anything. The so-called power of earthly powers is really undermined by Matthew in this gospel because they are incapable, incapable of making a just decision. If they make a decision, it is not just. If they want to be just, then they don't make a decision. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Bar Abbas. Now, I have a couple of things to say right out of the gate about verse 15 and 16. Number one, it's disturbing, as always, that you have a word that they keep translating differently based on the context, Richard. The word ochlos typically is translated as the crowds, or you could say a mob or a gathering or a multitude, but most commonly it's rendered crowds. Here they say people. Sometimes they translate it as people. The problem is that you can imply sometimes a favorable context by saying release for the people, especially in English, because of the 
cultural context of a constitution and a declaration of independence. We don't say for the crowd, of the crowd, by the crowd, or for the mob, of the mob, by the mob. We say for the people, of the people, by the people. So the word functions differently in the American consciousness. But the fact is, in Matthew, we're talking about bread and circuses. So we are already going against Paul's teaching in Galatians. Point blank. Am I pleasing men or am I pleasing God? Now, God is the only judge, which means we should only, if we are correct and Pauline, seek to please him. Then he is the one who decides the fate of Jesus and Bar Abbas and everyone else in the Gospel of Matthew. But if out of the gate you are a typical politician and you're interested in governing for the people, of the people, by the people, to please the people, we're talking about bread and circuses, and your judgment is corrupt. From the moment you step on the judgment seat, you're already planning your next campaign, which means your decision is for you and not for the sake of the people. Verse 15 is all about judgment. With regard to verse 16, Richard, it's interesting to me that you have a human judge trying to make a decision about who to execute, the Son of the Father or the Messiah, the Anointed One, and the Son of the Father, whom everybody assumes is a criminal who should be executed. Everyone assumes so is a notorious prisoner. It just raises questions for me. I almost think of the crowd as a character in the book of Matthew because, yes, you can say a crowd like this crowd has these people in it and that crowd has those people in it. The crowd at Bill Clinton's inauguration was not the same individuals at Donald Trump's inauguration. They're not the same individuals, even though you call each of them a crowd. But a crowd's a crowd. We even have in English the term a mob mentality. The mob mentality doesn't distinguish who happens to be in the mob. There's something about a mob itself that it takes on the characteristic mentality of a mob. And the ochlos feels like that to me. So I'm glad you really picked this up, Father, because we had the ochlos that was always amazed by Jesus, but then we had the ochlos that came after Jesus with torches and pitchforks to come and arrest him. And now we've got an ochlos that Pilate is trying to please And that is really the opposite of what Jesus was doing. Jesus had no problem scandalizing the Oculos. Sometimes they ended up marveling, but Jesus did nothing to please the Oculos. Here we have a deal that the governor made with the Oculos, with the people, that they would get a prisoner freed that they chose. The governor through the Ochlos a bone where the Ochlos got to decide through majority rule who they were going to free. But again, this is not justice because the Ochlos does not function according to justice any more than Pilate or the chief priest function according to justice. 
They do not function according to wisdom. So they're no more equipped to make this decision as anybody else. Only a just ruler can make this decision. Now, this brings me back all the way to the beginning of Matthew. And all through this book, we've been talking so much about the kingdom and how Matthew is trying to describe the kingdom. And here we have the kingdom that is not. We have the kingdom of foolish, capricious rulers who decide according to whatever they get angry about or whatever they think the crowd wants or whatever they want without looking at either the facts at hand or what Jesus is actually teaching, which he said, I've been teaching openly all this time. Nobody seems to care about those. So of course Jesus doesn't talk anymore. The rulers and governor are condemning themselves because they're either making a decision with no wisdom or they have wisdom and they won't make a decision. They are failing and they are their own failure. So when we have this notable prisoner, the son of the father, do they want the son of the father or do they want the son of man? Well, of course they want the son of the father. The son of the father is a great person. The son of man is just an ordinary guy. So they want the son of the father, so they have to choose. Do you want this dude, Jesus, who calls himself Christ, or do you want this guy who is the son of the father? And that's the decision. But it's not according to wisdom, and it's not according to justice. This is the opposite of the kingdom. When God judges, it is always according to wisdom and to justice, which belong to him. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Bar Abbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? What I love about the wordplay here is that (laughs) Matthew is posing a very clever question. I mean, his character is posing a question, which means the author is posing a trick question to the addressee of the story. Whom do you want me to release for you? The son of the father or Jesus? <laughs> Hear what he's saying. Can you discern between the criminal and Jesus Christ? Can you tell me who the son of the father is? When you're walking down the street and you see a beggar, what do you see? Do you see a brother, or do you see a lazy person who doesn't work as hard as you? Do you see someone's son who fell on hard times and to whom you are responsible according to God's commandment? Or do you see somebody who's going to abuse the gift and use it to buy alcohol or drugs? Or do you tell me some very clever story about how all the hippies from the 60s ended up becoming drug addicts, and that's why we have homeless people. I could go on and on with all of the silly explanations people come up with to put lip balm on their broken conscience. The same people who quote rules to me about ethical behavior and unethical behavior. I'll never forget a conversation I had with somebody who explained to me that they immigrated to the U.S. correctly So they had no mercy for people who immigrate here illegally. Matthew is asking all of us 
Who shall I release? The illegal immigrant who's a son of the Father or Jesus who's a son of the Father who is called Christ? Which son of the Father do you want me to release? This is how empty your judgment is. And the proof, ultimately, that the Gentiles are as wicked as Israel, which is the whole point of Paul's teaching in Romans, and is the whole point of the scriptural canon, that Israel is the example of sin, but ultimately everyone is under condemnation. If you haven't figured this out from hearing the Bible as Literature podcast these past eight years— If you haven't understood this from hearing Father Paul teach, not only on our Tuesday program, but in the number of books that he's written and the number of lectures that have been released through OCABS, the Orthodox Center for the Advancement of Biblical Studies, then you're still just a rule follower who really believes that the means are more important than the end— and that you've got something that others are lacking, and people need to change and become just like you. And according to Matthew, you're well on your way to making everyone twice as much a child of hell as yourself. And you will definitely help all of us understand why you think it might be Barabbas over Jesus or Jesus over Barabbas. This is definitely the test and the proof of our wickedness. Which son of the father do you choose? It's a big joke, Rich. Yes, in the prophets, the role of the leader is always to teach. The role of the priest is to teach Torah, and the role of the king is to read Torah and make decisions according to Torah. This is the weakness here because they do not decide according to that. They decide according to their own whims. They decide according to the whims of the Ochlos because they're more afraid of the Ochlos than they are of God. That's it. Straightforward. And accordingly, Rich, their judgment is corrupt because their reference is corrupt. Exactly. The kingdom has one reference, and that is the Lord's Torah. The kingdom that Pilate is ruling has one law, and that's Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar was all about expanding the empire, crushing his enemies, and occasionally throwing a bone to the poor in his own empire so that they wouldn't rebel. Stability. As long as there's a stable empire, then the rulers stay where they are. But as soon as the crowds start to become rowdy, then you've lost. The problem with Pilate and how he differs from Jesus is that Pilate is afraid of the crowd. He won't teach them the right thing. The priests won't teach them the right thing. They won't teach them Torah. They won't teach them justice because they're afraid. If a teacher is afraid of their students, they can't teach. They can't. Because teaching is going to upset the students. And if you can't handle that as the teacher, then you can't teach. If the crowd does not know Torah, and the one who knows Torah is afraid of the crowd, there is no hope. Pilate can't even say that this is the Christ, Jesus. He's just the so-called Christ. 
Jesus the so-called Christ, Jesus the one called Christ, because he has to be the Christ. He has to be the king. Pilate has to be the ruler. If he allows Jesus to be called the Christ by his own mouth, his own rule is in jeopardy. So he will not do anything to jeopardize his own rule. Now, if that doesn't sound familiar to anyone living in the world today, whether a democracy, whether a dictatorship, in 2021, it doesn't matter because every rule follows the template of Pilate. Here's how the story could end well for Pilate. He could step down from the seat of judgment and take the place of Jesus Christ by the freedom of Bar Abbas, turn his back on the Ochlos, and be executed in the arena, or beheaded as a Roman citizen. If he were to take that stand, that would be the best possible outcome. Otherwise, it's a lose-lose situation for the governor, because to open his mouth and speak is to commit blasphemy against the throne of God, because he's exercising a power that does not belong to him in this situation. Now, he wouldn't be sitting on that seat if God didn't put him there. But God didn't put him there to say whatever the heck he wants. Now, you'll say with your philosophy, well, if God didn't want him to be there, why would God allow the execution of Christ? That's because you still, after all this time, don't understand functionality. God can send Pilate to kill the Christ and then punish Pilate for doing it. <laughs> And if you don't understand that, then you're not a good parent. I don't know what else to say, Rich. For he knew that because of envy they had handed him over. He knew that the leaders of the people were jealous of Jesus, and he was doing his political calculations, trying to figure out what the best deal would be for Pilate. That's it. Pilatos is about Pilatos. He's interested in what's in it for him. That is what a politician does. So we know he's going to make the wrong decision. He's not going to take the place of Jesus Christ, and he's not going to purchase the freedom of the Son of the Father. He's either going to decide for Christ or against Christ, which means no matter what he decides, he's going to condemn the Son of the Father, because that's what politicians do. When you send someone on death row to be executed, you are condemning a son or a daughter of the Father. When you deny someone the money they need to feed their children, you are denying bread to a son or daughter of the Father. When you declare war on another country to spread your democracy or your other religion, whatever it is, it's all your religion, because that's what state government is. It's religion. So the new American religion is secularism and pseudo-Hellenism in the form of pseudo-democracy. When you declare war on another country to spread your new religion, you are causing suffering for the sons and daughters of the Father. No matter how you choose, when you choose sin, you are injuring a son or daughter of the Father. That is the result of human judgment. 
the only voice that issues a judgment that doesn't cause suffering is the voice of the shepherd in the wilderness in his language that we have to be forced to hear and understand that goes against the grain of how we think and how we speak and how we act. It's a language Pilate definitely does not speak here, Rich. No, he only knows the language of power, and he knew that it was envy. Like you said, Father, he knew it was envy. He knew all along, and he knows now that it was not because of justice that Jesus was captured. It was not out of justice that he was convicted or that he was handed over to Pilate. Pilate knows that even taking the case, he's already accepting the presuppositions of the priests. If he were a just judge, he would have thrown the case out because there was no evidence. But by accepting the case, he's already playing into the hands of the chief priests. So he's stuck between the chief priests and the ochlos, and he has given up all the power that God has placed in his hand to judge justly and to judge wisely, and he's only going to either function according to the capriciousness of the crowd or the envy of the chief priests, but there's no way anyone can win at this point. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.